Amen. Every time I hear music like that, and like I heard earlier when you sang, I know that there's something behind that. And I can tell that you walk with the Lord and that you read His Word and that you pray because that music has feeling and not the, the moving feeling that the world makes up, but that spiritual moving in your heart. And so don't lose that. That was exciting. I'm fired up already to be here. And it is an honor to be here and a privilege to be here. I've heard a lot about this college and a lot about this church. In the 11th grade in 2001, I was at a summer camp and I was called to preach. I didn't want to preach, but God called me to preach and of course changed my heart. And from then until uh, about two years ago, life was just a whirlwind. I mean, God was doing things in my life. And of course, there's a lot that happened in my life, marriage and, and obviously graduating from college, uh, graduating from high school, going to college, marriage, children, all of that. But two years ago, I went to a prayer conference and Dr. Van Gelderen was there and Dr. Flanders was there and others. And uh, I thought I had a walk with God. Many of you have heard this before, no doubt. I thought I had a walk with God. I thought I knew how to walk with God. I had a lot of passion, a lot of zeal, and a lot of fire. Um, I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off. And I can truly honestly say that because of what God spoke to me about in that conference and going home and starting the Hour of God and the Prayer Walk Journal and all of that, that I, I believe that, that God used that at a stage in my life to continue me in the ministry. As a pastor, I was stressed out like you could not imagine. And, and I, I began to live for that time. That was my burden-bearing time when I would just dump it out. I'd write it out in the journal, just all the burdens. And God began to do a work in my life. And so this ministry has had a huge impact. Little is much when God is in it. You might just think, man, we're just here on the north side of Milwaukee. But you have a global impact and a worldwide impact. And then, of course, Brother Daniel came to our church and the, the music group, and what a great job that they did. Is there anybody in the room that came and sang with them? I think that you back here, a few of y'all, did a great job, and we had, a, we had a wonderful time, and then came back for our anniversary service. And then we support Daniel and Rachel Needham, and really, I think that they speak of who this church is and who this college is. And so I thank God for you, and I thank God for your influence. And uh, really, it is an honor to be here. I can sense that this is a very, and I don't just say this, a very spiritually mature group of young people. And I've been around young people, and I've been around college students. And a lot of times you think that they're, they're there just to, to get a spouse, even though that isn't a bad thing, or they're there just to play sports, or they're there just to do who knows what. But I can sense something different here, and I appreciate that. And I wish my children were a little bit older. I'd have them be filling out an application. So y'all stay at it, all right? Any recruiters in the room? Can you go back there and, and recruit them uh, this morning? It has been a, a privilege, obviously, to come over with my family. My wife and my children came with me, and they'll all be in chapel tomorrow. And I hope, uh, ladies, you get to meet her, and she's just an amazing person. I think you'll know that just by meeting her. And then my children, I have two of them, Aaron and Hannah, with me this morning, and the rest are going to come. They're the oldest of six. And I thought I was on, a, on an island until I met Brother Stephen back there. And he's just insane with all those kids. But, um, but they're, they're not with me right now this morning. They're still at the hotel uh, trying to find the place, and they'll be with me here tomorrow. But it's, it's been a party already. We went to the hotel, and they had a swimming pool. And I probably was dunked 20 or 30 times. I just put six kids or five kids in a pool and, and, and put them on your head and you're going to go under. And, um, but life is fun. It's an incredible time. And I'm glad that we can have fun. And every game that can be invented has been invented in our household. Every board game that can be played, we've played it. My kids will just make up games. Uh, uh, I, I think uh, games just to torture dad maybe. I don't know. 
But uh, how many of you love playing games? Raise your hand. You love playing games? I, our group that came to the Cola Clash last year came home was talking about y'all's games. I don't know what you did, but Big Ball or something, they were, they were talking about that, and they said it was the most awesome games ever. And uh, I love playing games, but to be honest with you, when we get older, we still play games. Our games just get a whole lot more sophisticated, but we still play games. And in Exodus chapter number 32, that's where we are this morning, Exodus chapter number 32 in the Word of God, we find an entire nation playing games. That's exactly what they were doing, but not just any people, not just some, some idiots, if you will, some, some behind-the-scenes kind of people that, that, that didn't matter. Uh, these were God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, a powerful nation called by God's name with God's name upon them. They were playing games. Exodus chapter number 32, would you stand to your feet? For the respect of the reading of God's word this morning and to wake up the college students who are still sleeping, <laughs> Exodus 32, and in verse number one, I want you to see this, see this. The Bible says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, that man that brought it, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. These be thy gods, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink. And would you read the last part of verse number six together out loud, ready and go. And rose up to play. Here it is, our time. It is the generation of God, it is the time of God when God was doing incredible things, but yet we find an entire generation, an entire people, an entire nation playing games. Now when God led me to this message, I thought, why here? I've heard of the reputation of this college. I don't believe that you're here to play games. I believe that you spend an hour with God. I believe that you have a relationship with the Lord. I believe that you're serious about serving God. But yet the Holy Spirit of God spoke to me as he has many times before about the same exact passage that if God's chosen people could come to such a place of abomination and debauchery, we must be careful because you and I who are passionate about serving God can come to the same place. These were God's people and they found themselves in a place where they literally were playing games. Father, we come into your presence. I pray that you'd speak to us. May the Holy Spirit of God just lift these things right out of these verses. And Lord, I pray that you'd convict hearts. We don't want to just meet. Lord, we want to meet with you. We want to have a time, Lord, where you stir our hearts and where you speak to us. Please get me out of the way. Lord, bring me the scripture recall and the, the, the truths from your word, Lord, that will bless. And Lord, I, will, I pray that I will say everything that you want me to say and nothing that I am not supposed to say, and I bring this to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Moses is on the mountain, and of course he's up there for two reasons. He's up there to uh, receive from God instructions uh, on the sanctuary or, or the tabernacle. God wanted to meet 
with his people. God is serious about a relationship with his people. And that's why he's there. He wanted to come down and meet with those people that were at the bottom of the mountain. But secondly, he was there for the statutes. Moses was there to receive the law or the commandment of God because God loved his people and God wanted his people to have a, a life blessed by God. And so Moses is getting what we know as the Ten Commandments. And let me just stop and say this. The Christian life in this Bible college in a committed, sold out, 100% kind of Christian life is not a minus sign in your life. The cross is a plus sign in your life. God is trying to give you something. God is trying to bless you with something, but too many Christians think that giving their life to Christ and going to a Bible college and coming to a college where you're going to study the Bible and maybe be a missionary or a pastor or, or a school teacher or a full-time Christian worker, somehow you're sacrificing. Let me say when Moses was getting those Ten Commandments, a lot of people today would say, yeah, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not this. Yeah, it, it's taking away. But yet many times we're, we're, we're so stupid, for, for lack of a better term, if you will, because we don't realize that God was giving us great gifts. When he gave us the word, it's a gift. Do you believe that this morning? And so I, I could take any one of the Ten Commandments, uh, but, but let's just take um, uh, thou shalt not steal. Yeah, yeah, you can't do that. And you grow up thinking, I can't do that. I, I, that's something that God has taken away. Somehow, some way, God's taken this away that life would be better. No, you know what he was doing? He was giving you the gift of, that's a nice uh, real tree Bible case there, uh, a camouflage Christian right here. Uh, <laughs> he was giving the gift of ownership. Are you with me? He's given the gift of ownership because this was the first time that we saw that come and God was giving us that gift that your Bible, not really, it's mine. I you couldn't own anything. And yet we come to the word of God and we come to college. Any, any cell phones in here? I see some guys texting back. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> a nice journal. Uh, we come to the word of God and we come to college and we come to things like this and we think somehow, someway, I'm, I'm giving up something. No, God is giving us a gift. And we could go down through the entire scriptures, not just the Ten Commandments, you might need your Bible. I don't know that you're actually reading it, but there you go. Um, God is giving us a gift, and that's what he was doing for his people. He, he wants to meet with them, the Creator, the God of heaven. He wants to come down and literally tabernacle with them. He wants to give them his statues, his law, his word as a gift, and he's laying all this out for them. But I want you to notice what is taking place here. The Bible says, when the people saw that Moses delayed. I want you to write down, if you write in your journal, we know at least one has a journal, write these things down uh, this morning. I'll just give you about three or four right here out of the text and you're going to see it. First of all, these people, God's people were playing games with faith. They were playing games with faith. Now you know that the just shall, oh you need your Bible back, the just shall live by what? Without what, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, we are people of, of what? We're people of faith. We're people of faith. We must believe God. All of our Christianity, everything comes down to faith. And yet these people are playing games with faith. Here is Moses. He's gone up to the mountain and it's for 40 days. This is a time of testing. In other words, it was all about the testing for the people of God. That's what it was all about. If you study the scriptures, you see this 40-day period of testing all throughout the scriptures. And we won't take that journey this morning, but it was a test. At what day, at what point was it when they said, as for this Moses? 
By the way, such a flippant disregard and disrespect for the man of God. As for this Moses, it shocks me how somebody like Dr. Van Gelderen and other leaders and college teachers and, 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 and people who have invested in your life can spend a lifetime of and decades of ministry, but they do one thing you disagree with and you use that term in so many words. As for this Moses, as for this teacher, as for this uh, 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 preacher, as for this parent, and, and such, such flippant uh, 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 disregard and, and disrespect. But I want you to notice they said he delayed to come down off the mountain. It might have been 20 days. It might have been 25. Days. I don't know how long it was. But we're to, are, are you kidding me, people of God? We're talking about the God who led you out of Egypt. We're talking about the God who parted the waters for you and you watched it. And not long ago, you were dancing and shouting and hollering and singing that there is no God like this God. No God. There is no other God. Remember that when they got on the other side of the Red Sea and they were shouting and praising God. But all of a sudden, a few days in to Moses being up on the mountain and saying, I just don't really, maybe he's not coming back and maybe this thing isn't really real and all of a sudden, they're doubting everything that they had stepped out in faith and seen God work in. I remember, as I mentioned, getting called to preach in the 11th grade. And after I graduated, I went to college and I had a heart to serve the Lord and I had a passion to do what is right. And I was having a Bible time in the morning. I, I'm not saying that I was, uh, uh, and you'll see where I'm going in a moment. I, I'm not saying I was one of these kids that was, that was just playing the game. I didn't think I was playing the game. I was serious. And I went to Bible college and I wanted to please my mom and dad and I wanted to do what was right. My dad was my hero and, and the pastor of the church. And, 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 and I remember going to Bible college and I met a young lady and we sat together in chapel and, and I went home one weekend and we, were, we had not started dating yet, but I'd already kind of got that, that bug that bit. You know what I'm talking about? Where you kind of, your heart flutters every time they walk in the room. And I'd already started to get that a little bit. And I remember coming home and I told my dad because I wanted to do what was right. And I told him, I said, look, you know, obviously we, we always agreed we would talk about this. And I said, I've met a young lady. And I mean, he had not met her out of the clear blue. Here's what he said. He said, not her. I said, whoa, excuse me? He said, son, be careful. That sounded disrespectful. I said, but wait a minute. You just said not her, uh, not her. He said, look, look, I know a few things and, and we're just not going to go that direction. Now, my dad and, uh, and, and me and my brother and sisters, we all had this agreement. He said, I don't pick who you marry. I just pick who you don't marry. Still haven't figured that one out. <laughs> but wait a minute, we laugh. It's actually a really good it's a really good agreement. Uh, houses and lands are from fathers, but a wife is from the Lord. But, but God will place a, a parental authority as veto power, if you will. And he said, and this is one of those not hers. Well, my temper reared inside of my heart. And I was doing everything that I could to, to contain it. But I said, wait a minute, wait, we're not doing this. He said, excuse me? I said, no, no, this isn't how, the, we're not, I can't just, we're not, I'm not, you know, I, I, had, I was just so ready to go, you know? And he said, come on outside. And we went down to the pond. I mow over the spot. I live in the house where I grew up. And, and, and I, I, every time I mow over that spot, it is a crossroad in my life. My life came to a crossroad at that very spot as I stood there. And, and he said, son, come out here. He didn't want my five younger sisters to hear what was going on. And he said, now listen to me. You have got to trust me. 
You, now, I did not understand. Let me let you in. I didn't understand that he understood some things and had known some things that I didn't know. It seemed so just off the cuff and so uncaring. I didn't realize that dad had been praying and working and doing research ahead of me and knowing who I had set by and knowing who I was talking to. And he's, but, but he couldn't tell me because of circumstances and situations. And she was a good girl. He just knew some things. And he said, son, not her. Do you understand that? And I said this, and I regret it the day, to the day I died. I said, dad, you don't even care. And I pointed my finger at him. I was so mad. And he said, son, you're not going to do this. I will call that college. I will kick you out. I said, do it. I was so rebellious. I mean, just spitful of rebellion. And I turned around and took five steps to walk away to the house. My life would have been forever changed if I would have kept walking. I took five steps in a verse that I hated as an 18, 19 year old, because it's a little kid's verse, but the word of God will not return void. You pump it in your heart and in your mind. I'm telling you almost in an audible voice, it wasn't, but in my heart, I heard these words, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And at the same time, I heard something about honoring father and thy mother, that it may be well with thee and the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of the wisdom. Boom, I just stopped. Scared half to death of what I had just done. And I turned around with a bad attitude. I said, I will obey you. And my dad went just like this. He was standing there just like this. Here's what he did when I said that. He said, thank you. I still stormed to my room. I didn't slam the door, but I shut the door and I fell on the bed and I began to weep. But the step of faith, listen to me, the step of faith opened my heart for the feelings of God and the conviction of God to work so that I could get right with my dad. I still didn't have the right attitude. I didn't understand. You're ruining my life, I said. You've got your wife, mom, you and mom. This is my, I'm trying to, I'm in Bible college. And man, I was just, but now that I had made that decision to just trust him, and here's what I thought in my mind. He might be ruining my life by moving away the one that I think could be my wife. But God said I'm supposed to obey and respect and honor. And if I do, I'll be okay. Now that's faith. And I wish I had that kind of faith in every circumstance of life. But listen to me. Listen to me. We have our time with God and we read the word of God and we hear preaching every day. But you're in the classroom of life. But one day you're going to be out in the real field. And one day things of life are going to come at you and it is going to show whether you are truly spiritually mature or if you're just playing games with faith. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. You're not fully anchoring in and relying on the one who has all strength. And even though I had a heart for God and was in Bible college and was reading my Bible and preparing messages and studying to preach, if I would have walked away in bitterness, this isn't fair, this doesn't make sense, my life would have been forever changed because I was playing games with faith. And I met the, the dream of my life, Charity, as you'll meet tomorrow. And what an incredible, incredible life that it's been. And I, I can't even explain to you how incredible it's been. We had just gotten married. And, and right into our first year of marriage, my wife told me, she said, I've had a weird prayer request ever since I was nine years of age. And I said, okay, what is it? She said, I've prayed since I was nine. And she had written it in a journal. I prayed that God would give me twins. I said, well, you didn't tell me that, but that's great. <laughs> She said, I'm telling you now. 
It wasn't long after that we found out we were expecting. We went to the doctor. And of course, of course they're all speak, speaking in code language. Guys, I don't know what all this stuff is they're talking about. And so they come to the point where the lady looks at me, the lady doctor, and she says, how about two, daddy? And I thought, two what? I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, y'all been speaking, you know, foreign language to me all morning. Two what? I said, and she said, two babies. And my wife's crying. And Oh, God, it was so good. And, and I could not believe it. I said, you got the power. Woo! <laughs> and so we go along and Christmas time comes and she has some complications and we go to the doctor. We're at the doctor and the doctor says, look, this is going on. There was a certain kind of complication. And, and she said, you got to go on bed rest. Now, bed rest sounds good to a college student, right? We could go. <laughs> <coughs> but as a newly married couple, and I was a brand new assistant pastor and uh, we were just fresh into ministry, doing everything together. I mean, she was flat on her back. One day, two days, one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. I mean, it just went on and on and on, and over 60 days, flat on her back. And she was writing a little journal for, for girls about trusting in God and having faith in God and, and how these little two little children are going to be such a testimony and, and a witness for God. And we just knew beyond any shadow of any doubt at all, we had faith that these, you know, God had given this answer to prayer. Uh, later on, she told me, she said, by the way, I prayed that one would be a boy and one would be a girl. And I thought, now that's really specific. She's never prayed that since and never prayed like, like those, you know, very specific like that prayer uh, of that magnitude. And sure enough to find out one's a boy and one's a girl. So we just knew God was going to do something amazing. Valentine's Day, February 14th. These are our first children. We're so excited. My sisters have sent in the little matching clothes, you know, the guy and the, uh, the little boy and the little girl and all of that stuff. And and Valentine's Day, February 14th, I was out on a team Valentine bake with an activity by myself. My wife couldn't go. And it was, it was one of those tough days. And I was just kind of plowing through and being faithful, you know. And I couldn't wait to get back. And, and she was only about six and a half months uh, expecting. And I got home that night. And she, she was in terrible back pain. We didn't know what was going on. And so she said, I better go to the doctor. So I, I put her in the car and we began to drive. And she, she just got in excruciating pain. She said, call 911. So I did. They met us on the side of the road, but they wouldn't let me get in the ambulance because of where my car was. So I followed, and, and they got in first, and I thought they were going to the emergency department, but they took her to labor and delivery. It took me about 20 minutes to find it, and, and, and I finally I found the place. Somebody took me there, and I walked in the room, and it was all bright, and there were a lot of doctors. And as I walked in the room trying to say, hey, this is going to be okay. We've done this before. She's been to the doctor several times. It's about 3 in the morning, and my mind's kind of foggy, and I'm trying to figure everything out. And I walked in the room, and in one of those little bassinet type things, there was a team of doctors, a neonatal intensive care team, working on the breathing of this teeny tiny, about a pound and a half little baby. Oh, fully developed physically, little hands, little arms, little face, the cutest little baby that you could ever imagine. And I, I thought, where are we? What are we doing? And I went over to the bed and tears were streaming down my wife's face and the doctor began to tell me that they were preparing for a blood transfusion. My wife's life was in danger and all of these things and something had broken loose inside of her. And, and I said, what is going on? And she looked up at me and she says, I'm having the babies. I said, that's okay. Everything's okay. God's on his throne. God, hey, we've prayed. We're living for God. Everything's all right. She just kept shaking her head and the doctor looked up at me very bluntly and she said, your babies are going to die. The first had already been born, and I asked where the second was, and, and they said, we're delivering that baby now. If they would have been single uh, babies, we might have, their lungs might have been developed, but because they were twins, it's just 22 and a half weeks, 23 weeks is just a little too early. I just, you know, at, the, at that stage, that time period, we just... 
can't say them. I was standing there and I was numb. And it was like a blur without even, it was just like, like this, this thought started to creep in like, is life a, a silly joke? I mean, is this, is this real? Like, is, can this happen? I mean, this is sick. This is a joke. You can't. It just, just, just starting to creep. Like, wait, 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 wait. You, you can't, you, we can't do all of this. And the babies, this, it doesn't work out this way. I stood by that wife, and remember, I could have gotten whatever wife I wanted to, and the, as far as, you know, going my own way, you understand what I'm saying, uh, and those same type troubles of life would come. They look different for everybody, but troubles of life come. Do you believe that? You can shake your head up and down. I believe that. Man that is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. But I looked over in that bed, and my wife held up her hand like that. I hadn't even been holding her hand. Before she delivers, I mean, in pain and all of the confusion and everything else, she grabs my hand and I look down and with tears streaming down her face, I'll never forget what she said. She said, Joseph, God's way is always the best way. I said, you're right, you're right. And the peace of God flooded my heart and I thought, thanked God for a mom and dad who pointed me to a spiritual woman, a lady like that. And, and I thanked God that we can have faith even when we don't understand. Ah, Moses delayed to come down off the mountain. The God of Israel? Moses, the leader that God has chosen? And you're going to go strip off and dance around a calf and worship a golden idol? Yeah, I would never be like that. Wait till real life happens. This morning, what you need to do is say right here and now, Oh God, I stand before you today. Whether you kneel in prayer, whether you go to your dorm room tonight and say, God, when the waves and the storms of thunder and lightning of life crashes, will you give me the strength to have faith in you? and not play games with faith. Oh, there's so much that I would like to say, but let me just say, college student, I'm not trying to discourage you this morning. Life's incredible, your future is amazing, but these are the moments that will make you or break you. And if you will double down in your faith with God and not say, well, God was good when? No, God's good now. God's good at midnight just like he is at sunrise. Secondly, they were playing not only games with faith, and I have to hurry, they were playing games with God. Notice the text in verse number five, when Aaron saw it. What is that it in verse five? So we see that it's the golden, uh, all, uh, the golden, the molten calf. He built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation not to it. Stay with me. He made a proclamation to who? To, he, he made, you, can, you can, it's okay. He made a proclamation to who? The Lord. The Lord. So here's what's going on. He's a chameleon Christian. He's a camouflaged Christian. Sorry, buddy. Um, <laughs> When we're in a college like this, we got our suits and ties on and ladies, look, you might think I'm barking up the wrong tree, but every college has them. And every church has them. Where you like the God stuff. Stay with me. You like the preaching and you're here and you're in Bible college, but you've got a foot in the world and a foot in Christianity. You're like my friend in high school. We got a brand new mall in Iowa City, Coral Ridge Mall, and we were out teen sewing and our youth pastor said, hey, we're going to have a surprise. And the surprise was we pulled up at the mall to go into the food court. And he was going to buy everybody food after sewing. And when we pulled up, he got off and just bolted. I mean, just ran towards the mall. And I started to figure out he didn't want to walk in with all the girls wearing culottes. He wanted to get in there earlier because there was some friends in there from another side of life. 
And I don't know if most of you all are from here, but there could be some that go home somewhere else and, and you've got a different kind of music in your earbuds and in your room. Again, I know I'm preaching to the choir, if you will. You've got a different style of dress and a different style of worship, if you will. You want to sprinkle in a little bit of God with your world. And that's what they were doing. And this is today's uh, modern day Christianity. We want to worship Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We want to sprinkle in some God, but we want to have all the flesh. We want to have whatever Bible version you want. We want to have whatever worship you want. We want, hey, standards, throw out the standards. Throw out any of that kind of true Bible Christianity of living for God and doing what is right. But let's sprinkle in a little, hey, Jesus, are you with me this morning? And that's what they were doing not only were they playing games with God, they were playing games, I want you to notice this with Aaron, with their influence or with their friends, their friendships. Notice this in verse number one, they gathered themselves unto Aaron. Hey, Aaron, we like you. You're cool, Aaron. Hey, you fit in with us, Aaron. Aaron should have said, are y'all crazy? Number one, I fear God. Number two, I'm not going to come down into the cesspool with you. He said, look, I, look, I know who Moses is. I know he's a servant of God and I know the living God and I've seen what God did. But you know what? The influence of friendships is far more powerful than anybody in this room, I think, even gives credit to. You are right now or soon shall be who your friends are. Just think about the king's son, Amnon. He, his father was, was the great psalmist of Israel. And when he thought about who he was, the Bible says it would have stopped him. He thought it hard to do anything to his half-sister Tamar. When he thought about the psalmist of Israel and when he thought about the royal kingly blood running through his veins that run through your veins as a child of God, it would have stopped him. And all of these things would have stopped him and the chapel messages would have stopped him and the word of God would have stopped him. But the Bible says Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab and Jonadab was a very subtle man. And there are people in this college that have the governor you say, look, you're preaching to the choir. No, I know who I'm preaching to. I'm preaching to humans. You have a governor. You can live for God for however much at whatever level that your close sphere of influence and friendships have. Some of you in an invitation, man, you'd come and you'd pray and you'd pray out loud in a corporate prayer meeting or what, but, but you're always watching. There's that kind of unsaid, unseen governor cap in your life that if they'll let you go to this far or maybe a guy or a girl, you kind of like them. And so you're trying to figure out their spiritual pulse and you're going to come in right around their spiritual pulse. And the law of gravity works in friendships that, oh, I'll help him be more spiritual and be more faithful. No, he'll help himself. Because, come up here, if, if I tried to pull him up and he tried to pull me down, he'll win 10 to 1 because of the law of gravity. And so, I'm not talking about being unfriendly. I'm talking about you cutting loose and living for God as Aaron should have done and said, listen, folks, I'm not going to listen to y'all. Uh, quickly, they were playing games with sin. Notice verse 21. Quickly, notice verse 21. There's a lot of these, and I'm just going to give you just a few this morning. Verse 21, the Bible says, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought such a great, so great a what upon them? Say it out loud. A sin upon them. Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Why are you preaching like that? Come on, calm down. It's not that big of a deal. Notice verse 22. Thou knowest the people that they are set on. Did, they, did he say mischief or sin? He said mischief. They're set on mischief. Let me tell you something. There are people in this room that are playing games with sin. You got the front, but you don't realize that God sees what's on these devices, gentlemen. 
and ladies. God sees who you're texting. God sees what you're listening to. God sees what you're doing. You say, but I'm in Bible college. Oh, so we believe in sinless perfection here? That nobody, nobody deals with temptations and sin? Let me tell you something. You know how they hunt wolves in Alaska? The Eskimos will bury a chunk of meat deep under the ice and they'll put a sickle blade right on top of it. And then they'll just wait. And the next morning they come back and they harvest all these wolves that, that, that are, are hard to catch and hard to kill. But these wolves will come and they'll smell that red meat. And, oh, they've got to have more of it. But they know they shouldn't. But, but instead of, of running and denying the flesh, denying themselves, they, they smell it and they begin to lick the ice and they lick and they lick and the more they lick, oh, I've got to have it, I've got to have it, I've got to have it. And that sin takes hold, if you will, and they, they can smell it. And by the time that they reach that meat, right before they get there, that blade slices right through their tongue. But in their adrenaline to get the meat, they don't even feel it because the ice has numbed them and they <laughs> and bleed out right into the meat and they die. You say, oh, that's terrible. That's exactly what Satan does to us. Just a little sniff, a little look, a little dabbling here and there. It's not a big deal. No, you need to be radical about temptation. Radical about Look to the great men of God who were radical, who would not even, I mean, not even come close to the line of sin, close to the border of sin, and stay far away from it. Because you just smell a little bit, and that, that wafting of that smell will draw you closer and closer, and soon sin will have numbed you. There's a lot that I'd like to say this morning, but I'm going to close with this. I'm going to close in a unique way. I never do this. This is the only message that I do this with. But I'm going to, for invitation, I'm going to show a, a video that I think everybody needs to see with this in mind. Moses was up there bringing down. He brought down at the end of this test that they failed. What was he bringing down in either arm? The law, the word of God. And what happened? He had to break them because they had already broken it. They were playing games with the word of God. You make much of this book, and this book will make much of you. And I'm afraid many times we've got our little schedules and our little charts, and we just boringly read through the Word of God instead of love it, instead of hold it high. I don't want anything sitting on top of it. I don't want, uh, look, he, the Bible says, I have exalted my word above all my name. I love Jesus. Worship the name of Jesus. Jesus said, I put my word even above my name. All the singing we do about Jesus, you know what? He says, I've lifted my word above all my name. And yet, in our culture and society and Christendom today, we play games with the word of God. I got a question. Did you spend quality time reading the word of God today? There is a price for truth, and those that have gone before us have paid it. But yet, they're down there at the bottom of the mountain. Ah, there's Moses. He delayed to come down out. Times are tough. I don't know when he's coming back. What are we going to do? Faith. Sin. Not a big deal. Friendships and, and, a, and a ton of other things. But the most important was they were playing games with the word of God. I want you to take a look at this video that I believe everybody ought to see. And at the end of this message, I want you to ask, at the end of this video clip, I want you to ask yourself, am I playing games with God?